great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So coming up, I'm not doing the Clark Rageous moment today. In fact, instead, I'm going to tell you an inspiring story about someone who showed courage, compassion, and love for another to save somebody's life. And later, there's a change that I first told you about two years ago that has just gone into effect that is changing the nature of how credit scores work and how it affects you. And I'm going to explain it coming up yet later. So new report out that the companies that you get your internet connection from at your home are raising prices a whole lot. And so I read this report, went and looked, and it's true that many of the rate plans for internet at home have gone up as much as 60% from where they were before. And the reason is, is is people cut the, the cable cord for television, if someone's cutting the cord, and people are getting TV from streaming services, the monopoly cable companies are trying to maintain revenue. And so if they no longer have the revenue from TV, they're getting that money by doing dramatic increases in the cost for the internet connection. So they end up net where they were before and you end up paying much more money for the same thing you had before. But I want you to know, this is the last year, the last year that high-speed internet service to your home is going to be a monopoly-provided product. And the reason is, there's a new wireless technology that is going to start appearing in a handful of cities later this year verizon in particular is going into indianapolis houston sacramento and los angeles this year with a technology that goes under the catch-all phrase of 5g now 5g is typically about 500 times faster than if you get your internet right now from a monopoly local phone company and is about 16 times quicker than the typical connection someone would have from a cable monopoly. So the the delivery of this ultra-high-speed internet wirelessly is something that Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are capable of doing right now, and they're doing their trials and picking their test cities and all that. And then there are others that hold what's known as spectrum rights that can come in and compete for home and small business internet. And this is a game changer because it will come in two flavors. One is going to be with an internet connection to your home that'll be like a receiving box, but it won't have any wires coming to it. And then you'll hook your home router or wireless mesh into it to provide high-speed internet in your home. 
The second thing that will start appearing the first quarter of next year that is particularly applicable to people who live alone, you know, people tend to access high-speed data most of the time on their phone, not on a laptop anymore. There are going to be phones that are available from all the major manufacturers that will have in them 5G receivers and will be able to receive those ultra-fast signals. It means that your phone, if you do something on your phone, it will load on your screen quicker than your eyes can register that the screen has changed. With an ultra-high speed 5G connection to your home, it means that 4K television that is pretty much a no-go with a phone company internet connection to your home and a slow go with a cable company connection to your home will be ultra high speed and will load dramatically with beautiful 4K picture right to the TV in your home. This is not science fiction. This is not a possibility way down the road. This is an actual thing that will be rolled out over the next, depending on where you live in the country, you'll have at least one 5G provider in the next 18 months. But that's only the warm-up act, because the big thing is to break the monopoly and provide better prices and hopefully better customer service. And having competition changes things. So let me make you aware of something. If you go to sign up for internet right now with one of the monopoly providers now, they are likely going to try to get you to sign a multi-year contract for internet so that you're frozen out when the new competition comes available. Be very wary of signing any contract today for internet for your home or small business. Because let me tell you, the incumbent monopoly players are terrified of having to compete like real businesses. It's coming, and they're not prepared to provide a better experience. So that's why they're afraid, and they're trying to lock you into a contract. And that's why don't sign a contract unless you're fully aware about what the penalties would be to break it and that you're comfortable, if a much better deal comes along, paying that break fee. Jeanette is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeanette. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. How are you, Clark? Wonderful, thank you. Jeanette, you got a question for me about taking cheap vacations. Let's see if I can help. Oh, yeah. Um, I work for a school district. And currently, I'm an 11-month employee, so my vacations are set to the school calendar. And I know you always say to try to take vacations off-peak. Well, unfortunately, I can't. (laughs) So every time I try to look for vacations, everything I look at is high-peak prices. So I have a milestone birthday coming up, so my husband and I are trying to take a nice tropical vacation. So... I've been looking and I've been reading your blogs and everywhere I've looked, it's like premium prices and I, I would love any tips. And so tips hit me, hit me with some it. of the windows you have 
as an 11-year, 11-month uh, contract school employee? When do you have time you My can take? My biggest window I have is a three-week during winter break. So I'm looking at I, basically, you know, Christmas to I think the second week of January. Well, you just unlocked one of the secrets to saving money. So that okay. that period in January, after we get through people returning from the whole Christmas New Year's thing, that was mm-hmm. a nice sounding doorbell, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> when, when we get through that that time period, which this year I don't know what that Sunday is after following the the first of January, but once we get past that, that is a very soft time for travel to fun in the sunspots, for ski trips, anything like that. Because mm-hmm. people have exhausted their wallets from Christmas and they are all back doing whatever they're doing. So the week this year that would be the deal is the week of January 7th. Mm-hmm. And that's one of your times off, right? As I understood yes. what you said. Yes. So that would be the week to target is when you're going to take a trip. Okay. And if you're interested and in, you said tropical, there's a massive market share war going on right now between American and JetBlue for spots in the Caribbean and uh, Central America because JetBlue is becoming the dominant airline in a part of the world that American had always been dominant. So they're slugging it out, and there's been deals every single week popping up to different fun-in-the-sun spots. And that week in January almost certainly will fit your ability to get a bargain on airfare and, interestingly enough, on accommodations. There you are in the middle of the peak season. That's kind of a, a downward week on prices during the peak season on accommodations as well. Okay. And the other possibility would be Hawaii. Oh, okay. Because there's a big market share war going on for Hawaiian flights, and Southwest is going to start flying from four West Coast cities nonstop to all four of the main island destinations in the Hawaiian Islands. And they're going to announce that service and I think it's October, they're going to announce the schedule and introductory fares. Yay. <laughs> so you're going to have a lot of possibilities for that week. And it just happens to be, uh, I mean, you were so sure that there were going to be no good windows. You got the perfect window for deals that week. And if you love to ski, anybody listening who loves to ski, that's a week that the skiing mountains are uncrowded, the lift lines are very, very short that week of the 7th of January. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. How are you today, Clark? Great. Thank you, John. You are thinking of uh, being a real estate investor. Yes, sir. I'm looking at buying some rental properties or investing with an online real estate investment company and wondering what your opinions are on those. So it depends on which kind. If you mean owning uh, little bits of a, a large what's known as real estate investment trust that owns pieces of hundreds or thousands 
of properties of various types. I think that's fine as an alternative to owning individual real estate as an active investor and manager of a property. But I will warn you away from a lot of the offers that are available today where you go into like a little cottage industry kind of thing where you're investing in typically individual rental properties that someone else supposedly has identified as being good rental income properties. They manage it. You pay them a fee to do so, and supposedly you're going to make money. Mm -hmm. Uh, My problem with those is you tend to have very significant fees that are clear and then other costs that are hidden with them raking off a meaningful amount of the revenue in the management expenses they charge that's separate from what would be the normal expense ratio. Okay. So I I don't know what kind you were looking at. Were you mm-hmm. looking at one that's a, a wide one that owns thousands of things or one that is more targeted? They're a little more targeted, I think, from what I've been looking at. They're still in several hundreds pieces of property, but... That's not my thing. <laughs> I, I would, I mean, my opinion, I'd stay away from something like that. And if you want to do real estate investing as a diversification, but you don't want to deal with the tenant calling to say the toilet's busted, then what you do is you go into a widespread, one of the easiest things is to go into what's known as a REIT index fund. Mm-hmm. If you know what that is. Yes. So I prefer where, you, where either... You get your hands dirty, being involved with your own property, or you go the complete opposite extreme where you're highly diversified with professional management. But the kind of uh, fuzzy thing in between, not my thing. Normally, this would be time for today's Clark Rageous moment, but today it's shoved aside for an example of the goodness in us. People who see a problem, and instead of looking the other way, make a difference. There's a story I read about in the Chicago Tribune about a guy named Kwame Anderson, who is a beer delivery driver in Minneapolis-St. Paul. He was driving across the I-94 bridge when he saw a man on a ledge getting ready to jump, commit suicide off the bridge. He didn't just drive on. He didn't just gawk. He stopped the truck, got out, and went out on the ledge at great risk to himself to talk the guy off the ledge. They called the police to say this was going on, and they said, do not do anything. And he was like, I can't do that. I can't watch this guy jump. And he went out there on the ledge talked to him for an hour, found out his name, found out where he grew up, talked to him about whether he had kids, and listened to the guy's troubles. And then he did what any beer delivery person would do. He said, hey, would you like a beer beer to chill? And his partner in the truck brought him a 12-pack of Coors Light. And from the moment the guy, is not a commercial for Coors, but from the minute the guy popped open the Coors and took a sip, the tone of the encounter changed. And eventually he was able to talk the guy off the ledge 
and save the guy's life. You know, we never know in life when a situation is going to arise and how we'd handle it when another of our fellow Americans, a fellow human being, is in distress and trouble. We never know what we'll do at that moment. I hope that whatever the situation is, where you're at an inflection point in your life where you could help or walk away, that you'll remember Kwame and think about what he did that saved another man's life. And we hear all day long all the bad that goes on, all the bad news, but every day there are great stories out there. Be part of one. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. If you're someone who obsessively checks your credit score, which is an odd statement to say because historically people weren't even allowed to see their credit score, now more and more people check it routinely. You may have set up a Credit Sesame account or more commonly a Credit Karma account. You may have a credit card that allows you to see your credit score for free whenever you want just by signing into your account. These numbers available to you give you the ability to know where you're going to be when it comes to credit. My experience, based on what I hear from callers, is that people who have had historically problems with their credit are the least likely to check their credit score because they don't want to deal with what may be uncomfortable information. On the other hand, people who are always trying to have a better and better score are the ones that most likely check it obsessively. The reality is that it's the individuals who have maybe had a problem in the past with credit who are the ones that really, really need to be all over checking it and seeing how you can improve it. Because for someone who has problems in their credit history, becoming obsessive with it and learning how to improve it will lead to the greatest rise in scores. There's also been a change with scores that I first told you about two years ago is a result of a legal settlement that now is fully implemented that deletes information that used to heavily depress people's credit scores. Things like um, showing a, a judgment from a lawsuit or a tax lien or something like that. I can tell you from personal experience, I remember once applying for a mortgage and the mortgage ground to a halt because there was a judgment showing on my credit report. And it was not my judgment. It was sloppy clerical work. Credit bureaus using outside bureaus for that, outside services. And they'd mistakenly put one on my report that was for someone of a similar name, but not me. And it was quite a, a rigmarole to get that taken care of and get the purchase of the home done and the mortgage closed on time. But the reason that these things are no longer appearing on credit reports is for that reason that the industry has been really sloppy, has been relying on third parties to look at public records 
and the information collected has often been garbage in that's ended up being garbage out on your credit file. And so any of a number of people who have had some form of judgment or liens on their credit files now are going to see an increase in their score. So this is not, I should say it's not 100% of judgments, but it is most judgments will no longer count in a credit score. So it gets to even more that the key, the heart of what will make up your score and will be how people reflect judgment on you for extending you loans or judging you to give you auto insurance is going to rely strictly on the two most important criteria being pretty much the whole game, and that is paying your bills every month on time, no matter what. Unless you just, you lost your job and you have no money, that you pay your bills on time. Often, people forget to pay a bill, not because they don't have the money, they just forget. They're not good record keepers or whatever. Come up with a simple system, either an electronic one or a sheet of paper, January through December, where you write down every bill you're supposed to pay, and when you pay that bill, you check that bill off on that calendar month. I mean, that could, could that be more low-tech? It couldn't be. And keep, keep a record. The other thing you've probably heard me talk about way too much, and that's credit utilization. How much of your available credit you're using. And you want your utilization rate to be below 30%. So what that means is that you take the credit limits you have available to you, add them up, and make sure you're using less than 30% of them. The reason that's so important and accounts for nearly a third of what makes up your credit score is that it is time-tested and proven that people who utilize too much of their available credit have an extreme increase in the likelihood that they'll default on their debt or go delinquent on their debt. And so that's why that's such a huge factor. And if you're somebody who wants to hit the elusive 850, the highest credit score possible, your utilization of cards needs to be somewhere around 5%, which is kind of crazy low, but that's where you'd need to be. Art's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Art. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Art. You have a question for me that I got to smile about because the answer I'm going to give just gets better every time somebody asks me. <laughs> Good news, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How can I serve well, you? Well, my question is, I've, I've been wearing hearing aids now for about 10 years, and I, was, I calculate I've spent over $20,000 in those 10 years on hearing aids, and I still don't have one that really does the job for me. And I realize that hearing is something that, you know, you can't always get 100%, but uh, the last pair I paid was $6,400, and, and they're not really working any better than the first pair that I paid $1,800 for. So what I'm doing is looking for advice on some A's that, or something that's coming up that, that won't cost so much and might work better. All right, so what's going on is there was a law passed by the Congress that 
the implementation of is being slow walked right now in the administration, but it's uh, it's designed to open up the hearing aid market like it is in every other country in the world. We in the United States pay roughly 10 times the cost of hearing aids of any other country. And so now that the marketplace is already starting to open up, the prices are coming down. And the price leaders with much lower prices to this point have been Costco Wholesale, Sam's Club, and something called I Hear Medical. I-H-E-A-R, like hearing, hearmedical.com. And all three are pricing hearing aids starting at under 1000 for a pair, which is a huge move in the price in the marketplace. That's for sure. But I would say probably within the next two years, we'll start seeing hearing aids available at more typical world prices of about $500 for a pair. That's are you great a, news. Are you a member of either of the warehouse clubs? Yes, both of them. So I think it would be good for you to go uh, to both of them and see what they have available. You may not okay. like the ones they have available at about a grand, and the prices will vary locally, even with the warehouse clubs, I think, some with the hearing aids. But... If you like the ones that are $1,000, that's so much cheaper than what you've been paying. For sure. Okay. And before okay. you go to either of those, look at the website, IHearMedical.com. Okay. They are, as best I know, they're the first ones to have an uh, FDA-approved hearing aid that can be sold right over the internet, where you do your own hearing test. <laughs> And then you can order the hearing aids. Okay, I'll do that. So this is, this is something that was a really bad news story for a long time in the U.S. and is finally going to be much, much better. And I'm sorry about the 20 grand you've spent to date. <laughs> I'm very sorry, too. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, sir, very much. Sure, and best to you, and I hope you do get a good fit at a good price. Justin joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Justin. Hi, Clark. It's an honor to speak with you today. Well, Thanks great to you to, and your staff. For well, great to have to you here. What's that, Justin? I stepped I right over you. You and your staff for continuing to produce a great show. Well, thank you, and you know I have a wonderful, hardworking team that's working on the, the radio, working on my TV, working on our websites, working on our newsletters, podcasts, everything. You know, every, everybody all works together as one team, all working for one purpose, and that's to serve you. Great. My question is about the new Fidelity Zero Fee Mutual Funds you mentioned in a recent segment. I have a Roth IRA at Fidelity that I've been contributing to since I was 18 years old. It is currently invested in Fidelity's broad market domestic and international index funds. Would you suggest leaving the money in these two funds or selling and purchasing the corresponding zero, zero fee funds? Well, because you would be changing nothing in your portfolio, essentially going from the legacy funds into the zeros, and you'd have no tax due because it's inside a tax-sheltered or tax-free account, a Roth, 
I would do exactly that. I would sell both your holdings and go back into the two Fidelity Zero funds. Okay. Because I, when I looked at the international fund, I noticed that it appeared to not include small capitalization stocks. Um, would that be would that be a reason to potentially pay the uh, you know the fee for the full uh, the full uh, older fund? I don't know that that would be a good enough reason. What's the expense ratio on the international choice you're in now with Fidelity? 0. 0.06. 0.06. So six one hundredths of one percent. Yes. I mean that's almost free as it is. So if you wanted to make sure you continued to have exposure to small international stocks, you could uh, sell off your total stock market index, go into the zero choice, but leave the international as it is. Because six one hundredths of one percent for an international index is that's virtually free in and of itself. Okay. I don't know that giving you know that saving six basis points is worth changing the nature of the mix of that investment. Because I like, um, you know, I have such a bias towards uh, first international investing, which is where three quarters of the action is, and also smaller companies having exposure to smaller companies, because even though they tend to be more volatile, they also are where ultimately you can have more growth. And so I, I like having one that's got both the the big companies and the smaller ones. Excellent. Well, thanks for your advice today, Clark. Sure. And I'm so impressed that you started your Roth IRA when you were 18. Who motivated you? Where did that come from in your family or wherever it came from? Yep. A combination of listening to you and from parents. Well, I'm going to give the full nod to your parents because you know, you doing that starting as a teenager and you consistently do that, it means that you're going to have such a variety of choices of what you can do through your life, when you work, where you work, the nature of what work you do, or even if you just bag it and you decide to retire, you created those possibilities by becoming a consistent saver when you're 18, and that is absolutely something you should be very proud of. Good for you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Karen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Clark. Karen, you have a puzzle you want to bring to me and see if I can put the pieces together for you. Absolutely. 
I've noticed over a period of time that when I go on to Credit Karma, you know, every month I see my score, both scores, and they're close to what the two of them. But if I go on to um, my one of some of my credit cards offer access to FICO scores, and when I go on there, the score is like thirty points higher. Wait, wait, wait! Your your FICO is thirty points higher. Or your Credit Karma is thirty points higher. My FICO is like thirty points higher than my Credit Karma. Okay, and and, and I get calls the why. other way. I get calls the other way as well from people saying. Wait a minute, my Credit Karma score says I'm 745, and then I look at my actual FICO score, and it'll be 707. What's going on? All right, so the deal is that the people at Credit Karma are using a version, based on what I've been able to see, of the Vantage score. The Vantage scoring system is one that is owned by a co-op or a joint venture of the three major credit bureaus mm-hmm. who hate FICO because the credit bureaus want that money. They don't want FICO, another company, to have the money. So that's why they develop their own scoring model. And they crunch data a little differently. Plus, each of your credit files will have a little bit different stuff on them, uh, for one from another. So what you see on a TransUnion report will be a little different from what you see on an Equifax, which will be a little different what you see on an experience. So even with FICO, do you know you, at the same moment, likely if you pulled the FICO score from each credit bureau, it might vary among the three bureaus? Oh, wow. So there is no one score. It's a moving target. What you're looking for is you're looking for where you are and which direction it's going. So you're playing horseshoes here. Okay. You know, you're not going to find that you have a credit score that will be the same no matter where and how you look. But what are your scores again? With uh, Well, my credit karma score tends to go depending from like 680 to 700. My FICO scores seem to be 720 to 740. So that would that would totally be explained by the methodologies that Vantage uses versus what FICO uses. The, oh, good, okay. the good news in your part is the FICO is what lending decisions are made with. So having it consistently in the 700s is much better for you. The advantage of this 680 to 700 that you're showing on your credit karmas, that gives you an opportunity using their there are tools there to see what are the changes you could make that would goose your score up some. Okay. And so that's how I would look at it. I would look at it as an indicator and a teaching tool. And I'm just really, really relieved and happy that it's your FICO score that's higher and not your credit karma, because that's the one that really, really makes a difference. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. 
go to clark.com newsletters.